everyone and welcome to the final episode of Season 3, Violence in the Education System. With me is my co-host, George Jonker. Hi everyone. Um, joining us today for the recording, we actually have Dr. Moon, who is an educational psychologist and lecturer at Stellenbosch University. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Dr. Moon, you are doing some very interesting research, and I want you to tell us a little bit more about your research and the violence culture in South Africa. Maybe I can just start saying that the reason why we do um, look into this culture of violence is basically that South Africa is seen as a risk society by any standards if you compare us with other countries. So we have several factors that contribute to that. For instance, poverty, food insecurity, child-headed households, and much more. And where we see many children in other countries are exposed to adversity, so we see adversities as anything that um, a person has been exposed to that is very traumatic, for instance, abuse or witnessing abuse or being a victim of violence or even bullying or even prolonged stress such as divorce or conflict is seen as adversity. So my work is basically looking into adversity and, and violence you know, youth violence mainly. So the reason why I look into that, like I said, is because South Africa is a risk society. We have about seven, over seven million people living with HIV AIDS. We have about a third of our population living on social grants. And 11 million of those people are actually under the age of 18 years. So we've got a very unequal society and we have a lot of violence in our society. I don't know if you want to ask something, but I can explain a little bit more about the violence. Yes, yes, please explain a little bit more. I just want to know, in a, in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, South Africa was ranked second in the world regarding violence in schools. Is that still the same? Is that still the case? Yes, so unfortunately we have the second most violent incidents in our schools. So the research that I've also conducted with children um, mm. shows that they are being exposed to things like a bullying quite often in the schools. But it, I don't think that is the origin of, of the violence. Basically, our children are exposed to violence in our communities and it's becoming sort of something that they don't even notice anymore. Some of the studies that I've conducted would be with, we would ask children, what makes you sad? What makes you angry? So we work with young children. And we sort of know that those children have been exposed to, for instance, a week um, before we've conducted the study, we know that the children have been exposed to someone that, for instance, has been murdered in the community and people saw that. And the children would, for instance, not even draw about that or talk about that. So that's sort of a, a worrying uh, trend, if you understand what I'm saying. So they're not even noticing things in their communities anymore. So we see that our children are also very much exposed to violence in their homes. They often talk about things that are happening in homes. So you will also see when you look at crime statistics and murder rates that people are often murdered by someone that they actually know, someone that lives with them, a family member. So I think it's a wider thing that you have to look at. When you look at school violence, I don't think you should only look at what's happening in the schools. You should also look at what's happening in the communities and in the homes of these children. Yeah. In one of our previous episodes with a social worker from the WCED, she also said that it's not a single factor contributing to a violent event. You must look at it from a holistic point of view, that it's not just a single thing that prompts the child to behave in a certain way. There's a lot of societal factors also playing into that. 
You know, so you will see that if you go into the the history of South Africa, we are a very violent nation, but we also sort of what parents often do is we say it's wrong to do something to someone else, means it's wrong to hit someone, it's wrong to harm them, but then we also teach them ways to sort of survive out there. So they call it the code of the streets. So the children are sort of helped to say, okay, don't talk to strangers, don't do this. Um, if someone does, does this to you, then you know do this back so mm. even though we say um the right things um we also teach them to survive you know in a difficult culture or a difficult community so i'm saying that it's becoming entrenched in the culture that we have in south africa so because in the homes the children are exposed to a lot of violence in many homes and if you've never been taught how to actually properly resolve conflict then how would you sort of know how to do it if you understand what i'm saying so if i'm at home and the only way that I see problems are solved is with violence or force or severe arguments, then how would I know what the right way would be to solve a problem? So then people just resort to the things that they know, and then that that cycle of violence just continues, you know, and children don't ever learn that there are other ways to solve problems. I think from a teacher's perspective, having to, to teach learners how to solve issues almost want to say non-violently, do you think there's a possibility that learners could take that advice back home and possibly change something, almost want to say, where the entire issue started with? Or do you think that might be difficult given South Africa's context? No, we, we never give up and we never say it's impossible. What we've done in the past um, was that it is difficult to sort of change that behavior. But what we say is that the classroom and the school should be a safe space for the child. So the child should get an example from the teacher and the school community that that's how we actually act. There's a safe space where I can go to, where I can talk to someone. My teacher's always the same. My teacher's someone that actually listens and cares for me. So we hope that if they see that, if, if that's modeled, that that will also become something that they would take to heart and also practice in other settings. The studies that I've done with people who committed crimes, people who were drug addicts, all of them say one thing to me every single time is I had someone that cared about me. I had someone that worried about me. Even if it's just a, a grandparent or it's a teacher, um, it makes a difference for a person to sort of be resilient or get out of a situation. So what we're trying to do now is to actually work on compassionate care. So it's something that I'm hoping that would be in the life skills, life orientation programs in the schools, where you sort of teach someone to be empathetic towards another person from a very, very young age. And hopefully, if you understand the perspective of another person, that would also change the way that you act or react towards um, other people. So that's a long-term thing that we want to work with. But your question is, can we change that? I think it will be hard for you as a teacher to go, say, I'm going to change things that are happening at home. I think what we can do is to sort of pay attention, know what's going on at home and in the classroom. And because you spend a lot of time with these children, but then also I think the easier way is to sort of practice this, model this, be this, so that they can see there is a, there's something else there. It's not just the one way of doing things. That makes sense. I think a lot of us have this idea that violence only comes from a male in society. And specifically looking at online research, we find mostly 
research done overseas. Do you think that there's specifically more instances where violence takes place from male instead of female, specifically at home, as you said? Or do you think it's more of a general thing that happens because of something else, instead of it being a male versus female type of situation? If you look at violence statistics and violent crimes, we do actually see that males perpetrate more violent crimes. So that might be something like 80%. I don't know the exact stats, but it's something like 80-20%, you know, if you compare them to females. Having said that, because males tend to be more violent and obviously they have more prisons for males than for females, we sometimes underestimate what females actually do. And the studies are less and less about females, for instance, but they do also perpetrate, they're also um, part of the violent culture. So one of the studies that we've conducted was with young children also, and we've seen that the mothers are sometimes also the, the biggest, not perpetrators, but you know, they do things that they're not supposed to, so the children are getting physically punished and abused by the mothers. So we sort of underestimate that sometimes, or we, we don't investigate that, because males are so dominant, you know, when it comes to this type of problem. So for me, I've experienced in my previous practicals last year that in a very violent school, if I can say that. And it's very difficult to talk to children about that because I don't think that they always understand really what's going on. So from an educational psychologist perspective, how can teachers or even us as student teachers going into practicals next term, how can we talk about violence at the school or violent situation happening in the classroom to our learners? Or how can we address this in the classroom? I think there are several techniques, like I said. Uh, are you talking specifically about high school children or in general? Maybe in general, but focusing on primary school learners. Yeah, I think it's a little bit easier in the primary school because you can still, I think it's important to, even though we sometimes understand at certain ages that it's sort of not normal, but we can expect certain behavior from younger children and from older children, we expect something else. I think that's also important to take into account the developmental stages of the children. For instance, a young child, like a, a three-year-old or a two-year-old who would bite another child or pull their hair or scratch them because they don't have the vocabulary or the verbal skills to actually sound frustrated with you now and I need you to stop. So that's different. But having said that, even if a child is very young and they do a violent or they do something aggressive towards someone else, it's something that you always will teach or always talk about and explain that it's wrong and give alternatives and try and find out where the frustration comes from. So I think it's important as teachers to sort of find out what is it, what is sort of triggering this this behavior. And it might be different for every single child. So I think it's important to sort of find the source of this frustration or the source of this problem. It might sometimes be that it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a child. So you will see with in my research, I talk about bullying and aggression and violence. I think it's the same thing. If we call aggression bullying, it's sort of a thing that we see children do. And then we say, oh, shame, they're just children. They're just bullying each other. I don't see it as that. I see it as, as violence. You know, it's aggression. So we need to sort of stop that because we've seen the, you know, the consequences of violence. So I think it's something that you never sort of take lightly. For instance, in bullying, we always look at the perpetrator of bullying, but in bullying, we also have to look at the victim. So both of them need our intervention, if you understand what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. we, we need to teach the bullying not to bully 
other children, but we also need to get the victim to be assertive and lift their self-esteem and talk about things like that. So I think often children are violent because of things that are going on in their own lives, you know. So I think it, it, it can be different for each and every child. So there's not one answer or solution to this problem. I think we have to really look at the context and where it comes from with these children. But that's why I say we, we're very much into now trying to get programs going in schools on compassionate care, on empathy, on alternatives, how to resolve aggression or problems that you have that is not violent because that's the last resort. We don't want children to actually go to that every single time that they get frustrated or to get upset about something. So uh, I know you've got questions about the app that we've got. Um, I work with people in the USA as well and I work very much with those no-hit zones. So yeah. they have posters up in clinics, in schools, everywhere where we they have a sort of a motto where we say no child will hit an adult, no adult hits a child, and so on. So it's sort of something that you keep on preaching, and I have a zero tolerance for that in clinics, in schools, and so forth. So if someone is sort of guilty of that, there's, there's consequences, or they are asked to leave the clinic, or they are asked to think about what they've done. So I think we have to go in with that motto that it's never a solution to any of the problems because we see a lot of negative effects uh, due to violence. So children who perpetrate, children who are violent in schools, we see that it's got a lot of negative influences later in their life. So children who bully, for instance, in schools, we see that there's a direct link with later aggressive behavior and perpetration. So I think we can sort of say that we can be serious about this. I think, as you said, realizing that some actions at an earlier stage in the child's life might lead to something worse in, in later in their lives is a huge factor that plays a role in violence in high school specifically, I would assume. But I think something that I personally struggle with, especially when seeing these little acts of, I almost want to call it this pre-violent stage where there's like these tents against one another. Especially last year with practicals, I saw a few instances where learners would bully each other, but not to the extent where you have like this stereotypical bully of, oh, I hit this child or he hit him or whatever. But it's more of an emotional bullying where someone would say something to someone else. But that ultimately leads to physical violence, I think. And one thing that I personally struggle with is having that conversation with the learners right then and then to have them realize that, well, this is not the right thing to do, but why? And I think the difficult part, especially with that whole conversation, is not telling them why, but having them realize why. Because it's it's very easy for us to say, well, oh, but it's wrong. Why? Um, because you don't want to be it yourself. And then that's the end of the story. It's having them realize that their actions have consequences, not necessarily for them, but for, as you said, the victim as well. And looking at both parties, that's the difficult part. Because I feel like teachers, from a general perspective, focus on the person who has done the bullying, who has done the violent act, instead of focusing on both parties. But I think that's something that, that I just need to personally work on. Yeah, it, 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 you're right. I think we often just have to say, okay, we have to do something about the bullying because that's what people expect from us. But I think it's more important to sort of, like you said, trying to sort of reflect on it and where does it actually come from? Because what we also sometimes do is we don't realize how much adversity that child might have been exposed to or what happened that morning before mm. they came to school. So it might have been that, you know, they were late for school or they didn't get their lunch or their parents 
shouted at them. Now they get to school and you also shout at them. And then someone says something horrible to them. So it's sort of a snowball effect. And then you only see the end of that. End result is I hit someone or I say something horrible to them. We don't actually realize that it, it builds up. You know, and it comes from somewhere else. So the work that I've done with children who commit family murder, people just see them as, oh, they've murdered someone, but they don't realize how many years of abuse and, and things they had to endure. We sort of need to understand a little bit more than just, oh, you've hit someone now. Okay, I need to yeah. do A and then B will solve the problem. I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, mm. I think it, I wish it were. <laughs> I want to jump on Drura's bandwagon as well because in in my sense where I was at the school it wasn't so much as emotional bullying but it was physical bullying and what I struggled with internally was it was numerous cases where two children would be attacking each other and punching each other and as a student teacher I didn't really know how to react and when I wanted to intervene it was but I shouldn't touch a child too hard because maybe it would come back to me as well so I'm afraid the child would see I touched him too hard because but I just wanted to pull them away from each other so I really struggled with that from a teacher's point of view what are my my grounds when there's a fight how can I break it up but after the fight how can we actually calm the children down because I see in most instances both of them are very traumatized in a sense so how can we calm them down after such a situation yeah, I think you've got the the right idea. When someone is very upset or angry or, or something like that, I don't think you'll get um, much out of them, if you understand what I mean, or much insight at that moment. So I think there's definitely a time or a period that you need them to cool off, you know, time out. So I think time out, in, especially in, in primary schools, even maybe in high schools, can work quite well. Um, you know, just to sit somewhere, you sit in that corner and you sit in that corner and give them that time to actually sort of um, regulate or get the emotions in check so that they can actually listen to you and hear what you're saying. So you'll see, for instance, people that have been traumatized, like you said, they might be very traumatized after a situation like that. So you sometimes don't even do therapy that same day because at that moment someone is in shock they can't take in what you're saying so I think definitely have a period of time where they can actually just reflect on what's happened and then maybe try and get into the situation understanding where it comes from and again schools must also have very especially high schools must have very strict regulations and rules on how to deal with violence so I think most of the high schools have um very strict policy you know if you're in a physical fight it's a demerit system and this would happen to you so I think that sometimes also helps schools but I think it's also important to have a sort of a bullying policy you know understanding what what happens and what would happen if you're involved in this again I think it's important to sort of find out what that trigger is or what's happening there yeah I think you talked about the verbal bullying. I think we shouldn't underestimate the verbal bullying that's going on. And now, like you all know, cyberbullying and things like that, children are talking in, about it more and more often now, that that's actually even worse than anything physical that can be done to them in school. So we've got a very big task that is very difficult to actually contain as teachers. I think it's very important as teachers, like you said, to have the support system where you know it's, it's not only you in that scenario where you have to 
almost going to say calm the student down or, or support the student in mentally and emotionally. But on that note, you mentioned earlier that you have an app that you developed that specifically supports communities with child adversity. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that and how it works? Yes, so what we've done is, like I've said, I'm involved with the Academy on Violence and Abuse, which is a US-affiliated organization. So that's where, when I talk about the Zero Abuse Project, these are people, mostly professional people and doctors that are involved with trying to prevent violence over the life course. So the app that we have provides training on the effects of adversity over the lifespan. And it's an online platform for academics and professional staff and community members on understanding the effects of adversity and violence. And it's sort of also a support app for communities. The idea is that people would actually go to this app. We've got a map on with support structures in the communities. So people can actually look at where as the support structures that they might need and we also have like um, video clips on how to handle toxic stress for instance we've got we had some talks in the past i have to bring that to life again here in Stellenbosch on different things that people uh, grapple with and then there are also articles that parents and community members can actually read on adversity statistics and so forth I know you've been involved with the project this year that you've done for your one of your courses and hopefully we'll take those support structures and we're going to also upload it on this app now so that people sort of have places that they can actually go to if they need support um, for specific problems. Yeah, that's great. If communities want to access this app, where can they access it? I can send you the link. Um, so it is under the Academy of Violence and Abuse South Africa. So if they search that, they will, will get to that, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Moon, for, for all your insight and the knowledge that you shared with us. I think prevalent in the whole season is that violence is not a single thing. It's a holistic event that should be looked at in a holistic way and to know that every behavior, there's, there's a reason why a child behaves in such a way. So thank you so much, Dr. Moon, that you shared your knowledge with us with this episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was nice speaking to you and it's a fantastic program. So good luck with the rest of the programs that you've planned for this year. Thank you so much, Dr. Moon. Thank you so much. This was the last time from us, Star from Chatter, from our eyes to your ears. Thank you.